again oh my goodness we have new faces there's like all these faces on the screen at this point so it must be pretty important what we're doing uh for everyone who's we're going to jump right in because we have a lot to talk about today i'm michael dismuke with continuing missions um and uh that's the number one fan site for star trek adventures rpg of course and i'm also a freelance writer for modifius and uh, this is continuing conversations where we talk about anything and everything star trek adventures rpg and boy do we have a topic for you today but before we get into it let's do the introductions uh al why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself how's it going al spader contributing writer for star trek adventures um working with these guys for a while and excited to talk tonight that's right. Yet another super fan turned writer. What about you, Josh? Hey, uh, I'm Josh. Thank you so much for having me on tonight, guys. Um, I am a game master and player of Star Trek Adventures. I run a lot of games for my kids and their friends, but I also get to play online, um, you know, and I've really enjoyed playing in your game and Pioneer with, uh, with Michael and Al. So thanks again. Yeah. And you got to tell me, because I love it when I hear that kids are playing this game. Tell us a little, oh, bit, yeah. about it. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, it's so much fun. I mean, you know, it, it's been cool because I started with my son and he really wanted to play himself. So he got to go to Starfleet Academy and, you know, become a flight controller and pilot the ship. And we went through various adventures, some of which I'm sure, you know, we'll talk about today. But now he's in a second group. So I have two groups going on in two different geographies. And um, and he gets to play a Ferengi Borg first officer. Um, and so that that's really fun is he's, he's having fun with that. And, you know, he's come up with fun names and you know, backstory for him. So, wow. Yeah, it's you, great. It's been a great game. I've run other games for kids and I have to say, I really enjoy the way 2d 20 and Star Trek adventures plays with them. Good. You, you are a good father. I think. Oh, you know, you it's are, a tough job. You taught your son correctly. <laughs> All right. And now of course, uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and lead editor for the Star Trek adventures RPG produced by Modifius entertainment and a lifelong Star Trek fan. And uh, Josh, I'm, Josh, I'm going to have to reach out to you at some point and talk about your experiences with uh, running the game for kids because my, my son's getting close to that age and I think I need to get him into STA as soon as possible. So I'm going to pick your brain at some point if you're open to oh, it. Happy to. And I've heard some pretty awesome ideas from Al too about you know mechanically how to simplify it uh, for that age. So... Very cool. Uh, it sounds like we're going to have a future topic here to talk about. Okay, <laughs> okay, I think so. Okay, this is going to work. <laughs> Honestly, you know, it would at some future time. I would love to watch the kids play. That would just be, be awesome. So is to see them and do a live stream. I am yeah. willing to give all my technological know-how to to make that happen. I think it might be mm -hmm. one of the most popular. It would become one of the more popular Star Trek adventure streams um, if we could one day do that. Anyways, that's Dream World. <laughs> Today, we have a topic of topics. In fact, it's such a great topic that Jim is going to run the interview. And what we're doing today is we're talking about Star Trek modules that have been published by Modifius. Why did I think that this was a great topic? Well, we've been out, what, Modifius has been doing Star Trek Adventures since 2017, 2018, roughly, Five years, right? Yeah. Five years. And 
there's so much material coming out that I can tell you as a game master, it's impossible to keep up. I mean, I wish I could play every day just to get through every module. But what I don't want to see happen is that the modules that maybe came out a long time ago are forgotten because there is some gold out there. And so what I challenged Al and Josh to do and myself is to pick our three favorite modules, not saying that they're the best or the worst modules, but the ones that to us, we maybe want to play again, because it was just so awesome the first time. And some of us have actually played these more than more than once, which shows you how powerful these are. So we'll give some cred to the writers of these modules. We'll talk a little bit about why it's our favorite. And Jim, take it from there. Go ahead. Ask Great, us about yeah, our yeah. favorite modules. And just just to, just to set the stage here, I, I didn't get the memo, and I don't remember, honestly. Um, are we talking about only full-length adventures, or are we talking like individual adventures like within the mission briefs as well? Yeah, I, I'm excluding mission briefs, right, yeah. Al, Josh? We're not talking mission briefs, because that, that's a whole nother one, because I definitely have favorites yeah. of those also. So okay. we're talking full-length adventures. Okay, well, that's good. That, that helps set my my expectations for this panel because uh, I know that just just standalones, we must be over the sixty mark right now, or somewhere close to it. I mean, we've done, we put so much content out over the last five years. You know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it's just there's just a ton of stuff out there. And you add in the mission briefs, that's well over 120 discrete episodes that we've got available in some format. So it's yes. not easy. I know it's a lot of content and. Uh, I, I'm just excited to hear what you guys are going to say about your favorites because there's just so much, right? So mm -hmm. I think we'll just uh, jump into it now. So, of course, just to let the fans know, I recused myself from this conversation. That's why I'm, I'm seeing this because, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had a hand in all of them and I love them all for different reasons. And for me to pick the best three, I, I couldn't do that because it would be doing a disservice to all the other ones. So I'm, I'm taking the I'm taking the pass tonight. And I'll uh, I'll just run the run the show here basically. So um, I, I guess we could do kind of a like a Letterman kind of backwards <laughs> your, uh, of your top. Like presumably the three of you have ranked your top three. So you've got your, your you got your three favorites. So we'll stop from the we'll start from the bottom up and give me your give me give me your number three. And I think for all of these it would be useful to know the title, the the author the the recommended uh, era of play even though i've tried to be really careful with most of the adventures to make them flexible enough so that you can you can make modify them and drop them into any era because we want them to be you know multi-purpose so uh title writer era and uh and what what about it did you love right what 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 put it on your top three list right uh what and we can just talk about like what are the players going to get out of it or the game masters going to get out of it what what potential pitfalls like i don't want this just to be a um, a love session, right? You know, if you have cr constructive critical criticism and warnings for a GM, like if you're going to run this, be aware of X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever. Let's just keep it open and uh, and fresh and cool. And uh, I'm going to just be completely arbitrary and go clockwise. So I'll start with Josh. What's your number three? Okay, man, it's tough to to put them in order. Um, so I would just say, you know, that there there's ones that really loom large in my mind. It's not that they're better or worse than each other. So um, on that basis, I would start with A Cry from the Void, which I think was from the Strange New World supplement. Um, and I played this with my kids group and we just had so much fun with this. It took up several sessions. Um, something I really liked about it. Well, I actually have to ask uh, for ground rules, Michael and, and uh, Jim, are we doing spoilers or are we holding back? Are we going all in on what went down? Yeah, D okay. let's do it. Let's do We usually don't. I'm usually yeah. anti-spoiler. But I think this time uh, we, we should do it. 
Okay, that sounds good. So I just fell in love with Cry from the Void from the start. I felt like it had a really great sci-fi concept. And I'm kind of into, you know, sci- well, obviously, I'm sure a lot of us are into sci-fi movies, but I have this love for this old sci-fi movie, Solaris. It was a Russian movie. They remade it in, um, it, uh, I think, uh, with George Clooney. Um, and it's a great book and it's almost this real Star Trek setup and it's about this sentient planet and, and cry from the void has that at the core of the story, but you only discover that, you know, partway through classic Star Trek setup. I think it's next generation is the era. Oh, and by the way, this is by Ian Lemke and spring Neto. Um, I really love the setup of this because it's got this great sci-fi concept, but then it has this kind of messy social conflict that is going on on that planet. And there's secrets there too. So there's a, you know, there's a Ferengi mining uh, installation that's working on this sentient planet. And what are they really doing there and why are they really doing it? And so there's just so much to explore. And as I mentioned, my son, the liberated Ferengi Borg, um, he had kind of a connection with this sort of, you know, justice seeking Ferengi uh, boss, who's Lishka, who's running the facility. And so it's just none of it is easy to to sort out on a, you know, values and Starfleet protocol driven way. And I just think the setup also of what you have to go through to really, you know, solve the mystery and, and come out alive and, you know, and really seek, you know, the wellness of this planet, as well as, you know, the other NPCs that you encounter is so cool. So my kids ended up designing a submarine based on retrofitting a shuttlecraft and they I let them spend momentum to, you know, add different features to it. And so they got, we, we did this at a library cause it's COVID. So we would meet in a public place. We go up on the whiteboard, we're all masked and they're up there designing the sub and it was so fun. And then we took it for a drive and they had to, you know, escape from the ocean and really come forth rescuing people and solving the mystery. And it, it was just, it was really fun. I loved all the elements and I could totally imagine it. What's that? Did you take, I have to ask, did you take pictures of the sub? Oh, I, I think I actually did. I think I have them on my phone somewhere. I snapped them before they got rid of them. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I want them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find them. that. I'll put them up. Uh-huh, Excellent. Cool. So, uh, Michael and Al, have you played this particular adventure? And do you have any uh, any additional comments to add to uh, to um, to to Greg? Uh, excuse me. Uh, Josh's uh, comments. You, it said yeah. Greg earlier. You know, it threw me off. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's my son's name. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll just simply say, yeah, I pl- I played it and I know uh, Al was in it when we played it. The thing I like most about it is what Josh just mentioned, the underwater aspect of it is something that we don't see a lot of in Star Trek, actually. And and the submersible session was totally, totally uh, suspenseful intention. And everything he said about the game is true. We had to play it a little different in that we didn't have Ferengis available because we're in a different galaxy. So I had to change the aliens, but I kept all the same premise um, and and it turned out to be a fascinating uh, play. What do you think, Al? Yeah, super exciting. Um, very, very tense when you're that deep underwater um, and and figuring out the crystal cocoons and all that was just fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Um, my character really thrived in the social conflict at the end. He had a major character change based mm-hmm. on that and um, basically changed the character moving forward for the rest of the show. You know what I never understood about it, which cracked me up in, in playing this module, and Josh, I don't know if you, if you had it happen too, is everyone was stressed out about being underwater. Like, oh my God, you're in space all the time. Why are you <laughs> freaking out about being underwater? I couldn't understand. the ch- Like, why aren't you afraid every day you're on your ship? I, you know, 
Yeah, I I, uh, I I heavily adapted this one and ran it for my group last year. And um, what I thought was neat was that uh, even though the the set the the episode itself is set in I think either the Alpha or Beta Quadrant, um, I don't remember which one, but I just pulled it out wholesale and dropped it into a, a completely new region of space, but kept it with Ferengi and uh, and the other characters that were in the episode just to add that little bit of like what are they doing out here in the middle of nowhere right and then uh, i think the the whole underwater sequence was their their favorite part and that was a long session but boy it was really cool to get into the into the details of all the stuff that was happening uh, great so awesome uh, and josh just in terms of a game master approaching this particular episode any any warnings or concerns anything that you had to do specifically to adapt it to uh, to make it work for your needs um, I think that um, one thing I had to do was really so we you know I've heard you on this podcast talk about um, when your captain is an NPC or should your captain be a PC and in our case with the kids groups I really like the captain to be an NPC so that they can help enforce structure and really guide them but I really wanted to take that guy out because I wanted them to really you know grapple with the issues of what was going on there so my captain was a, a betazoid. And so I had him be overcome by the cry from the void and, and just, you know, he really needed the crew to go down on this planet and really, you know, take care of this issue. So they were forced to then negotiate. So I think, you know, it's that giving them the opportunity to really speak on behalf of the, the crew and make decisions. And, you know, and it also helps if your captain is a PC, but, um, but I think that would be something is really making sure they have the agency to get in there and negotiate with the Ferengi. Mm -hmm. Cool. Very cool. And again, that was uh, Cry from the Void, Ian Lemke and Spring Netto. And I believe that was from the uh, Strange New Worlds mission compendium number two that is available out there right now. So thank you, Josh. Uh, very awesome. So let's move on to uh, Al. What's your number three? I'm going to roll with um, The Whole of the Law by Christopher L. Bennett. Um, it's TOS uh, era, uh, though it is very easily set into any timeline whatsoever. Um, and uh, I ran this, I heavily adapted it, but um, just the idea of the Lima, um, which is the um, the planetoid that is introduced in this uh, uh, module it is fascinating. Um, it's very well designed. Um, we have uh, basically the light side and the dark side. Oh yeah, from the Strange New Worlds guide, that's right. Um, and uh, I... <laughs> We had so much fun. It's really designed to be almost like a shore leave type of episode, um, if you run it that way. But um, we had some fun. We put a, a casino on there, and there was a heist and uh, lots of fun stuff like that. But if you're following um, the, the words in here, um, step by step, it's really cool. Basically, people get kidnapped and brought to this underside of the dark side of the Lima, um, and uh, they have to be rescued. Um, and I really enjoyed, like, if you like uh, really good science and math, uh, there's like a whole thing in here about how your weight changes based, based on where you are on this planetoid. Um, really, really cool stuff. Um, and once you get to the end, there's like multiple paths you can take. And there's like, they re really thought out uh, the possibilities of what you could do as you're trying to rescue your teammates on um, the dark side of the Lima. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, Josh, Michael, have either of you had the opportunity to run this one? What were your experiences? Yeah. Yeah. Ran it. Um, it, it was great. Everything that Al said, um, 
I, the caution I'll give is it has the potential for a lot of violence because mm. of the dark side. And so one of the things I did do is before I launched it, I checked what the tolerance level is with my, my people, because at the end, in our case, they ended up in basically a gladiatorial arena. And it was an amazing scene. Don't get me wrong. It was an amazing fight that bonded our chief security officer with the ops manager and never go back. But there was definitely, I was like, okay, I knew when to cut scene. Like I was like, okay, that's enough because I didn't. I, I'm not into rock 'em, sock 'em, hack 'em, slash 'em. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only caution. Just talk to your team before you end up in that gladiatorial arena to see what kind of trek show they like. Cool. And Josh, have you had an opportunity to run this one? No, I haven't run this one. Um, mm-hmm. it, it looked intimidating, especially uh, you know for my kids. Just the idea of the lema. It's like kind of a little bit of a mature idea. You know, and so, um, but I, I, you know, maybe later on. So. <laughs> Once they go through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Al, any concerns, any any challenges as a game master to prepare for prepare this one uh, for your for a group when you're getting into it? I mean, I I hate railroading groups, um, but this could end up being like your your people might go all over the place, and you might have to come up with things on the fly to do um, while they're here. Um, because it, it is just such a, there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that I guess that would be one thing that I would caution prepare for. Have little activities that your uh, crew can participate in along the way um, that might not necessarily be exactly where this points you. <laughs> to that point, I want to say that you do, the, the mission does require you to split the party and one party might end up not having as much fun because they're not in the action sequence. So I might recommend it, this module, if like a bunch of players don't show up and you're left with only two or three players at night, run this module because yep. they're the ones who could end up on the dark side. That would be yeah. some advice. Thanks for bringing that up. That's in my notes and I just glanced over it. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice, very cool. And again, that's uh, that's ho- the whole of the law. It's an original series adventure intended. Uh, again, that's also in Strange New Worlds and that's by Christopher L. Bennett, one of the uh, more prolific Strange New Worlds writers. Or not Strange New Worlds, but uh, uh, Star Trek Adventures writers. Uh, but he's also a very prolific Star Trek novelist. So if you are into the Star Trek novels, he's written just a ton of stuff. So go check it out. He's also got a bunch of short stories in uh, Analog and Asimov. So if you are uh, uh, hard science, uh, he is he is your guy because he's got some really cool stuff out there. Most of it's beyond me because I don't have the science, uh, but really, really good writer. And I'm grateful that he's uh, he's on board with this. All right, Michael, that comes to you. What's your t- what's your number three? Sure. Um, it would be one that came out recently in 2021, and it's Piers Beckley's The Burning module. Um, and I had to pick that one not only because it's well-written and very clear. It's a TOS-era module, but I adapted it to TNG and, again, Another Galaxy, and that was very easy to do with it. Um, what what I liked about it strongly was the scientific concept. So in there, he has something called an antimatter an antimatter nebula, which some of the more scientific people on our group went right away to explain, like, well, this is impossible. Do you really you know? Aaron Paulier, basically. That's a shout out to you, man. Um, but mm-hmm. but fortunately, my team, they're always not worried about if something's possible. They want to figure out why it's possible. So that created a really fun scientific endeavor of explaining how an antimatter nebula could even exist in the first place. But the reason that I really ended up liking this module was because I tried to put social conflict into every single story. Mm-hmm. And the one I chose to weave into the story and not really tell them I wove into it until the end was American exceptionalism. The idea of any country being better than the other. 
Mm-hmm. And I just let it go. And the group took it. Al and Josh were there. And so they they could speak to what emotions came up from it. But I again, I had to be very careful because I don't believe I, I keep a very neutral stance and I'm not a very political person myself. But the setting with the Kalak being falling completely into exceptionalism created some really good, good uh, uh, situations. And, and it, to me, was one of the most memorable episodes and let me gauge my crew and like, okay, what's their tolerance for social debate? That That's one of the things that I really liked about it. So to me, the setting was great, great scientific ideas, a great new fearful opponent, the Kalak are definitely to be respected. They're the Klingons of this area, in my opinion. Um, and and I, I that's my number three. Very nice. Uh, Al, Josh, any, any thoughts on this one, if you had an opportunity to run it? I mean, I haven't run it, but I got a chance to play in it. And and like Michael said, you know, it's always exciting to be doing scientific stuff on the ship and then social stuff uh, as well. And, um, you know, we had a, a good time challenging each other's uh, insight into um, different things. And, uh, you know, it's always hard to do it from a character perspective and not put a little bit of yourself into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a blast um, through things. Nice. Josh, anything? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go so far as to actually list this as my number 2 just to just wow. to get a jump on that. Um I just loved this module so much. I really enjoyed um you know the whole concept of these antimatter uh life forms since we're we're doing spoilers here. Um so inside this nebula is this life form that that it is made of antimatter and um I I don't know that that idea is so interesting and I'm not sure I had thought about that before. And I really love it when Star Trek gets really grounded in its science and it just springs off of things that we know and, and goes into something that might be possible. And it's just, I, I felt really bad for these organisms that, that you know, if they come into contact with any piece of normal matter, they're going to be destroyed. And so it's like, that was very, you know, that, that was, it was cool to feel protective of that. Um, but I have to say, I, I really appreciate the design of this adventure and building into the um, social conflict and, you know, the political questions that Michael highlighted. Uh, I really feel like, so I'm always looking for adventures that have starship combat. I really love starship combat. I want to, my kids are asking for it. I want to, you know, so I'm prepping this adventure for my kids um, now that I've seen what it's like. And I just love the way that it is set up because, with, you know, with Starfleet and Starfleet's values, um, you know, sometimes you have to force the issue if you want Starship combat in your game. And so the creation of the Kalak and their philosophy, which I think is, you know, it's like the Klingons, but I think it's distinct from the Klingons. And it's it's a very interesting, you know, um, social conceit that they are predators and that they um, are, you know, they're willing to, to really... Uh, go through a, a lot of brinksmanship and and really just dominate um, the narrative and the battlefield even unto death. And so they can even. I love how the you know if you if you read the adventure carefully, um, Piers Buckley sets up what could be just an asymmetrical combat situation where if you're new to starship combat and you this might be a great first adventure because you could go up against a smaller scale Kalak vessel and it doesn't matter that you could overpower them because they will just take it there and you'll have to grapple with it even if you are are stronger than they are in the in the situation so i just love that about this adventure and i think you know with all the things going on with the science as well it just makes for a really rich experience mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and the rescue operation too. So, you know, and then you had the piece where you have this multi-pronged right. rescue operation and the creative solutions the players came up with were really fun too. To me, just a well-rounded, really well-rounded module. Very cool. And uh, so, Michael, I'll just wrap up with you before I'll ask Josh the same question since it was his number two. This has kind of worked out nicely. Uh, any challenges or warnings or uh, for Game Master notes, uh, preparation heading into it? Uh, yeah, any, back anything you did? Yeah, back to the theme of violence, since the Colic are such, um, oh, I mean, they, I, I, wrote, I added and pushed into it that they only viewed power, they only respected power, mm -hmm. that you actually had to come up with a powerful solution to, to even get them to like you, but even then they're still going to tell the story their own way. So be careful with that, check with your crew. I did multiple checks um, during the game, a couple pauses because of that. So, um, mm -hmm. and it worked out well. Very cool. And uh, Josh, anything else you'd like to add about that in terms of prep, especially for prepping for a, for a group of kids? I, I think, I actually think this is a great one for a group of kids. Um, yeah. And I would just say that, you know, you want to have gotten through, um, if, if you're going to do the Starship Combat, which I think is a big part of it, you want to have covered the basics. And then this is a great intro to that. But you wouldn't want this to be, I think, your first module, maybe with any play group, um, you know, certainly let alone with a group of kids. I think you'd want to get those basics in more of like a planetary uh, situation before you go into the starship combat. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, that was uh, that was the burning by Piers Beckley. That is a uh, original series adventure. That is a standalone. So that's available on uh, Drive Through RPG and both of the Medifius websites. Uh, all by itself, just a standalone adventure uh, that came out uh, last uh, June, I think, June twenty twenty one, I think, uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, that was uh, Michael's number three and Josh's number two. So, uh, Al, we're back to you. What's your number two uh, on your list? I'm going to run with, uh, also from the Strange New Worlds book, um, Football, um, by Andrew Perengreen. Uh, and this module is uh, a very interesting module because it deals with spirituality in a way that, aside from Deep Space Nine, you really don't see in Star Trek very much mm -hmm. um, in that you find a planet where there are these demons uh, that are attacking civilians. Um, there are these angels uh, flying around. Um, and I think that just uh, uh, conceptually, it's a very different mindset to get into. Um, and when uh, I ran this uh Shortly before actually Michael ran it for our group, um, it was really it's really well set up. Like it gives you ideas for different spiritual activities that different species might be doing on the ship. Um, and at the time I had an Andorian and a Trill on the ship, and they, you know, they really embraced this um uh as they were making their pilgrimage to this planet, um, which is like a central religious planet for many different species uh, in the sector. Um, and I like how open-ended it is. Like these angels um, and these demons, like uh, it's, it's very psychological um, thriller-ish. And like, uh, you know, I had my characters like seeing their family members' faces on them and things like that. Uh, and I would say that they uh, got a kick out of this module. Very cool. Thank you. And um, Michael and Josh, if you, either of you had the opportunity to run this one, what were your experiences? Michael? I did, yeah. So, and, and just to add a little bit more spoiler to it too, is that basically the entity in the planet 
is transforming into what people feel are their deities. So are, is it real angels and demons? No. I mean, you could do whatever you want in your game, but the creature is trying to create peace by bringing people into religious unity. And what I really thought was cool about um, this game is exactly what I'll put on it. If you're trying to flesh out your characters and really get the crew to know each other, and you know, I, I love doing it. I love looking at the values. I love hearing backstory more than the current oftentimes. Everybody got to kind of shine where they are from a spiritual point of view. Even the atheists were able to talk about where they're at. And I'm telling you right now that that was the that was the second game we played in our third season, which had a lot to do with spirituality. And it set the tone for so many conversations in 12 other games, even to now. So great for character development, um, that game. Let's sort of fly on me. Ugh. I guess he <laughs> like I guess he likes it too. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> and Josh, have you had a, uh, an opportunity to look at this one or to use it? No, I haven't had that opportunity yet. I did read through the play report, uh, which Michael is so good about cataloging from Pioneer's game. And I read the, the whole narrative of the game that Michael and Al played. And I remember thinking, you know, I have like a soft spot in my heart for Star Trek V. Um, and just like the big themes that that are, you know, that can be there in Star Trek stories. And it's just so amazing that you can bring so much of that into, you know, tabletop role playing games. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just I'll just add that uh, I remember when I was putting together the book for Strange New Worlds, um, I had I had I had uh, reached out to a whole bunch of authors at the time. I mean, this was what three years ago, four years now. I can't even remember. It's been a while. Um, and I remembered I, I I said you know send me pitches, and I, like I got twelve or fourteen pitches, and this is one of the ones that really resonated with me because it does address faith in ways that we don't see a lot in Star Trek, and, and that I don't see a lot in pitches. Right, a, a lot of writers just tend to avoid uh, faith discussions and. Uh, which is unfortunate, I think, because like DS9 did a really great job, I think, in presenting faith in kind of a um, non-judgmental way to say, look, you know, different species have faith and they they will we're going to address this because this is part of the, you know, part of the human condition. Certainly, I mean, you may be atheist and that's perfectly all right. There are other faith practices out there. There are non-faith practices, et cetera. Uh, there have been faiths on this planet for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, uh, they're not going to go away <laughs> anytime soon, much less 300 years before the, the you know, before uh, uh, the original or the original series is beginning. Right. But uh, um, uh, this this episode really appealed to me. I haven't had a chance to run it yet or play it. But uh, when I was editing it and putting it together I was, and working with uh, with uh, um, uh, Andy on it, it was like, wow, this is really great. Because like just as I was editing it in my mind, my game master brain, I was like, oh, my players would have so much fun doing this and having these thoughtful discussions like you were saying michael and uh, i just I, I appreciate it because it it just it's a little different from the other adventures in the book in that it, it just has a very different tonal focus and i think that's one of the strengths strengths of star trek right not so much star trek adventures but star trek is like you can watch any season of an ep- of a series and you're going to get so many different story opportunities and it's just it's just cool i think I, i'm just glad we have it in there uh so great thanks for your keeping person. it in there it would have been yeah. a loss it was, it was a oh yeah episode. i mean thanks thanks for andy for writing it and you know getting it in there and then of course cbs for you know being a-okay with it and improving it and being willing to to tackle some of these subjects and and being open to it so um al any other thoughts any concerns with this one going into a group i mean i think just you this is the type of mission where you definitely want to have a discussion with your group before mm-hmm. you run it. How comfortable are you talking about these things? Um, and, you know, if everybody's on board with it and knowing that we're doing it 
strictly from a narrative point of view through our characters, mm -hmm. um, it, it you're going to see some pretty amazing interactions along the way. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I would recommend is um, if you if you're a fan of doing cold opens um, for your your uh, show that you're running, um, do a montage of the characters doing their different little faith things um, on the ship, you know, um, and that could be, you know, any different, uh, you know, activity that they see fit. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that uh, if you have that discussion and they're all good, set, set the tone with the montage, I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Very nice. Excellent. And again, that's uh, that's footfall by Andy. Uh, I think it's Peregrine. Might yes. be Peregrine. A. I, I need to bug him. Uh, he's, he works on uh, he works on Dune. And uh, I'll bug him for his actual pronunciation of his last name. But uh, again, that's also in Strange New Worlds. So uh, Strange New Worlds seems to be the, the popular go-to for, for this evening so far. But uh, Michael, tell me tell me what you got for your number two. All right. Well, I'll break away from Strange New Worlds. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little twist on it because this module was actually a free one that mm -hmm. many people may not know about. But I, I I have to label it as one B because honestly, I was fighting between this and the other one that's my number one. And this was Michael Duxbury's Ghost Rider, which first premiered in Modifia issue three in spring 2018. <sighs> this one why I liked it. So basically the premise, I'll just read the premise. The away team receives a rescue broadcast from this woman named Marina, the daughter of famed philosopher, George Lazapoulos, who claims to be held hostage by the artificial intelligence of her deceased father's moon base. The AI is called the Ghost Rider. It seeks to publish one last work in the name of George. Marina, still mourning about her father's loss, disagrees. The away team must mediate the argument and try to come up with a good resolution. So we're talking about copyright law. And hey, we're all writers. <laughs> and so I was like, wait a second, how could this possibly be a good episode? But I was new to the game. I said, let me go ahead. It was our first season. I said, let me go ahead and try to run one of those non-action uh, episodes and see how it goes. What really made it drive, drive at home, I have to uh, give a shout out to to one of our players Juan Buchanan who who's written on our site some articles he was a teenager at the time when he played it he played a holographic officer so the the basically similar similar to measure of a man that kind of discussion came up about what rights does a holographic sentience have and the discussion and then getting into the legality and the starfleet protocol and federation law it was one of our favorite episodes for everyone who played it. So it's again, it's it's free. It's a short, it's a short little module written into Modifius issue three. But it's every time I think about favorite episode, that's pops up in my mind as one of my top favorite. Very nice, very nice. And uh, Josh, Al, either of you have the opportunity to uh, to read it or to uh, or to uh, or game master it. No, that yep. was uh, before I was even into the game. Or really, I've not I've not heard of it. One sounds really really cool. Okay, yeah, I haven't had a chance either. Yeah, check okay. it on continuing missions. You can get the link to the, the Medifia uh, PDF. But yep. if you if you all like a game without a lot of dice rolling, um, it's cool. One of the things that did come out of it was their solution ended up playing. Um, three seasons later. I'm not going to ruin it. You could always go back and read my write-up on it, but it's still that, that at one episode still impacts our, our show to this day, our show, mm -hmm. our, our game. To this day. Nice. Nice. And uh, any, any concerns or challenges for it as a game master to prepare for it, to drop it in? Honestly, no. In this one, I just suggest that you have a group that are willing to fall into their fall forward into their characters and act. It's totally improv city and, and legal arguments and, 
build care the character who's the um, AI Ghost Rider. I, you know, I, I decided to build him as a kind of a, like a turn of the century steampunk, you know, character in a British accent to really give him this Shakespearean flair. Um, to to to, and so it, it just became a very well acted episode too. I can't think of any negatives or dangers. It's not a pew pew module at all. <laughs> yeah, very nice. And again, that's uh, that's Michael Duxbury. That's Ghost Rider. That's available for freezies in um, a Diffia magazine, which is available for free download. And I'm pretty sure that's on drive RPG. I think it's also on the two web stores. So uh, not, not hard to find if it's uh, and like Michael said, there's a link on continuing mission. So go check that out if you have an opportunity. So cool. That, that is the th- top threes, top twos. So I guess if we had a drum roll, we'd be heading into the, into our, your all time uh, top favorite, adventures to date right as of right now mid-march uh, 2022 knowing that there's a whole bunch more on the way but uh, <laughs> uh for now given the 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 corpus of work that we have available to us at the moment josh what is your uh, what is your what is your shining star what is your number one so my my number one is uh actually a pretty short module um i just think it is just chef's kiss in its uh conception and that's the kobayashi maru by joe mm-hmm. cryo it's a, a TOS era episode, but really you could adapt this to any um, any generation or era. Um, they're referencing it even in the latest season of Discovery, you know, far into the future. So it's been kept around. Um, and I think we all know, you know, the iconic legacy of that test. And I remember actually the day that it came out, I got the email update from Modiphius and I downloaded it and I started reading it. And I just love this conception of how to really make that trope from the movies and now shows come alive um, while keeping even the ambiguous legacy of the test and bringing that into the game in a new way. You know, we know that that Kirk won by by cheating, basically. And there's been a whole movie, you know, or more debating that. Um, and then, you know, I think that this episode, since again, we're, we're doing spoilers, um, this episode really forces the players to deal with cheating and um, deal with the integrity of the test and not just face the no win scenario as a technical exercise, which is fun. You know, here's what we're going to try. We're going to try this. We're going to try that, you know, um, but really just come up to grips with what are they supposed to be doing in that room? And when there's someone in there that's violating the um, the whole integrity of, of what this is all about, um, what's their response to that? And um, I, I, you know, I actually was just thinking back to the Kelvinverse movie, the first, you know, new Star Trek where, um, you know, Kirk is hauled before the academic committee and he's like defending his performance to, you know, Admiral Tyler Perry and basically saying like, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I found this awesome solution. And Spock is like, no, you actually failed. You know, you didn't, you didn't really get it. Um, And, um, and I think that this just raises so many possibilities for, for players to, to each struggle with this in their own way. Um, So it's a really great setup. I also think from a mechanical standpoint, again, like, you know, the burning, I think it's a great um, module to try out Starship Combat. Again, it has that asymmetrical relationship where you know they're going to lose. So then you can just go crazy. You don't have to, you know, really think through the encounter design too hard. You can just like throw all these ships at them and, take the mechanics for a test drive and, you know, it might be over really soon. Um, but then you're going to have another, you know, social element and really, uh, you know, a values-based uh, dilemma to deal with. And you're going to come out of that room 
I think with some kind of iconic experience that's going to be unique to your table. So I, I just, even though it's a small, you know, module, I, I just loved it so much. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Al, Michael, have you had an opportunity to, uh, to run it or, uh, or do anything with it? No, he just wet my appetite though. <laughs> I, I, I like what he said about, um, to me, if I was now to have to play ship battle for the first time, what a perfect module. Cause there's no real threat to the players, but they get to learn the mechanics. So I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Al, any, 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 any comments? Uh, I haven't gotten a chance. I, I, you know, I thought it was uh, just the scenario. The cheating thing sounds like it's a really cool uh, twist and um, could lead some cool social interactions. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, this was a, this was a, um, one we worked on. This was almost a no-brainer. Like, of all the convention adventures that you could put together, why not make it the Kobayashi Maru, right? I mean, we, we threw in some uh, pre-gens, and Joe did a fantastic job presenting the scenario as it is, right, as we know it and love it from Star Trek II, but added that little extra spin to it with the with the actual cadet in there cheating their way through it and then how does the how do the player characters react to that right like you know uh, all of um starfleet's best morals are being put to the test here not just their individual morals but also starfleet like how's this going to reflect on starfleet if they get caught do they do they help the cheater do they call them out what do, what do you do right and i just love that moral dilemma it's just so so classic and uh, you know jo josh you're absolutely right it's been mentioned in um discovery and in Prodigy and in Lower Decks. And in fact, I think one of the more recent episodes of Picard mentioned it. Mentioned it. I think uh, Admiral, or not Admiral Picard, uh, Admiral Picard mentioned it. Um, you know, we'll not to get too far into the spoilers, but there was a moment where he's talking about uh, his academy um, responsibilities, thinking about making modifications to Kobayashi Maru. And so it is, it is like completely ingrained in Star Trek. Like if you are familiar with Star Trek, you know what Kobayashi Maru is. If you're a casual fan, you may not know, but you know, go watch Star Trek 2. You'll know within the first half an hour of the movie, right? Watch the first half hour, you're done. You know well, what Kobayashi Maru is. <laughs> one of the things I, I've been yeah. doing more of because there's so many modules to play and I can't get them fast enough is combining two modules or a mm. module and a mission brief. And now that you got my mind going, I could see even a season crew maybe having a flashback to what their Kobayashi Maru experience was as a B plot story that somehow plays into the greater one. So now my mind's going. So very good. I, you know, inside the module, um, Joe Cryle actually has this idea that if you adapt it to the next generation era, that it might take place on the holodeck. And that's what we did. And it was so much fun. And then seeing that happen on Prodigy was just just mind blowing. That was so cool. And so you could even have a ship that's doing one module. And then, you know, maybe there's a cadet character, or maybe there's a midshipman cadet, someone who has reason, you know, to take that test right there on the ship. And they could just go into the holodeck and have that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that uh, if you have an opportunity to, to read a classic Star Trek novel, by Julia Eklar. It's a novel titled The Kobayashi Maru. And what it is, is the original series uh, characters are caught in a very difficult situation. And to pass the time, they talk about their experiences doing the Kobayashi Maru. So you get to hear how um, Chekhov, Sulu, and um, Scotty, all how they handled their version of it. And so it's like three very different stories about the same thing. And it's just, it's a, it's a fun read. So if you get a chance to check it out, I know it's on Kindle. You can probably find it at any used bookstore. I mean, it's been out forever, uh, but great, great fun read. If you love the original series cast, especially. Uh, so great. So then um, uh, Josh, any, uh, any warnings or concerns about this as a game master heading into it, knowing like you were saying that this is going to be potentially starship heavy combat, 
And you know, historically, Starship Combat for STA has been a bit of a learning curve for a lot of people to uh, to navigate. So, what are your um, suggestions or recommendations there? Yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly as a game master, familiarizing yourself with those mechanics, which I love. I mean, I'm not suggesting that Starship Combat is not fun. I love doing it, and that's one of the reasons I love this module. Um, but I think just just mentally getting ready, you might even take the test yourself, you know, on paper, just sort of like play the ships and and feel how the mechanics, you know, go through what kind of moves you might want to make to really, you know, bring the threat in that scenario. I would say that, you know, um, more like from a role-playing or, or social standpoint, I think it's really a great idea with this, almost on a session zero level to kind of talk about, okay, we know this is a no-win scenario. And maybe the players are thinking on well of, well, I'm gonna win it, you know? Um, and But you might then ask, what would it mean for you to win this? You know, what is really winning this test? Um, and how do you pass the test? Like, you might not be able to win, but can you pass? And, and so one thing I did was I threw in this mission directive, be worthy of Starfleet, um, mm -hmm. so that that would sort of telegraph to them that they're not just in there to win this on the on the points. They're, they're really there to demonstrate the values, just like Spock said, you know, and, and that Kirk was held accountable to in that great scene of that movie. So I would just say to really, especially if your players are, I think playing it at a convention would be amazing. It's really casual and fun. And if everything blows up, you know, that's okay. Um, but I think if if you're playing with players that are really committed to like, you know, having a heroic arc, try to find in advance, plant the seeds for that potential heroic arc for them that doesn't involve them, you know, walking out, having, you know, beaten the unbeatable scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Uh, last thing I'll add is that uh, uh, only because this has come up in conversation on, uh, I think, either the, the forums or Reddit, uh, it, it's been somewhere recently, there's been a conversation about how to run uh, cadets and young characters. And my suggestion was, you know, not to, not to make this sound like a plug, cause I'm really not trying to make this sound like a plug, but the new player's guide has a, has a ton of new advice that Nathan Dowdell presented for cadet characters. I think the Kobayashi Maru would be a great culmination of that. Like take, create some cadet characters, run them through some Academy episodes or some Academy, you know, scenarios or something, and then, and then run Kobayashi Maru and just see how they do, right, individually or, uh, you know, sequentially or whatever. Uh, Michael, I love your idea of doing it as a flashback. Again, that harkens back to the novel that I was talking about. That would be a great way to give um, player characters a um, uh, an evening of really cool stuff to do. Like, if not everybody can show up one night, say, hey, you know, maybe you're sitting around 10 forward having a conversation. Hey, how did you, how did you win Kobayashi Maru? Or how did you lose? What was your experience, right? Right. You know, everybody at the Academy probably has that common experience. And that's a great way to build some uh, some scenes. So again, that's Kobayashi Maru by Joe Creel. I believe it's Creel. Um, Joe Creel, uh, Kobayashi Maru, that's another free adventure available on uh, DriveThruRPG and the two Midifius sites. So go check it out. It'll cost you nothing but time to check it out. <laughs> so uh, Al, we'll move over to you. What is your uh, what is your top top hot, hot adventure on your list? Uh, I, I'm going... Uh... This was this was an easy choice for me. I think it's a Star Beyond the Stars by Marco Rafala. Uh, it is the uh, starter set uh, module, um, and I started taking notes uh, as I was looking through it this week, and I ended up with two pages of notes of uh, things that I found really exciting about it. But I think if you're looking to learn the game step by step, it is by far. Uh, the easiest way to do this. Like it starts off, this is a task. This is the difficulty, you know, um, and it starts building upon that as you move through all the acts. And 
just so you, like this is a three-part adventure so really it's three adventures in in one little booklet um and uh i think the story is really fascinating there's kind of like an epic conclusion um and uh you know it introduces ship combat uh it it's it's really really good for learning the game excellent and uh, you caught me in the middle of uh, doing some research <laughs> to make sure I got the title right. Uh, uh, Michael and uh, Josh, have you had an opportunity to uh, to run this one or at least read it? Any any thoughts or perspectives on this particular uh, uh, campaign? I have not had a chance to run it. Um, all I can speak to, though, is Marco. I have run Marco Raffle games, um, but I, I'm going to plug his book. He He has a book called How Fire Ends, and I read that. It's a novel. And wow this he's a writer it's the first time i've read a novel where i felt i was reading a poem the entire time mm. meaning that his use of words his creativity um so i just got to plug the the writer of this module and and encourage people to go see to, to read how fire ends his novel mm -hmm. that's out mm -hmm. uh josh I haven't had a chance to run it, but I've read it. I definitely, you know, that was an early, you know, adventure. I was trying to wrap my head around in Grok how to how to run it. And then I've actually been directing people um, to check out that starter set as a way to sort of cheaply get into the game and, you know, do some, you know, uh, not homework, but, you know, learning on their own of, of how the system works. And I think it's great for them to see that adventure as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I uh, I love Marco's writing. I wish I could get him to do more, but I know he's busy being an, a novelist, which is perfectly great because his novel is fantastic. And uh, uh, that's exactly what I was researching for, Michael, when uh, when, when uh, Al wrapped up. I was like, I needed to remember what the title of his novel was because I read it a couple of years ago. Um, I had the I had the fortune to meet Marco at uh, Gen Con years ago, and then uh, I was in Chicago on a business trip before you know in the, in the before times. And uh, he and his his wife just happened to be in Chicago at the same time while he was on book tour. And I was like, well, let's go, let's go get a drink. Let's, let's have dinner or something. And uh, it just worked out great, but uh, love his stuff. Would love to see more of his stuff. Um, I can't say enough about the starter set. Uh, this is just the starter set was kind of uh, Sam Webb's uh, swan song as line manager of Star Trek Adventures before he moved on to more responsibilities at Modiphius. And so he he was primarily the lead on it. I didn't have a huge amount of involvement in the starter set other than um, just, you know, help coordinating some of the things. But uh, I know that I drive a lot of people to it because it's such a great, not to, not to, again, not to sound like a plug, but it's a great value. You have so much stuff in the box, but the adventure itself is one of the only adventures that we have that's really written specifically to teach you the game as you work your way through it. it it's kind of like the quick starters in a way. Um, so I'd say definitely check it out. You can get the box, um, the whole, you know, the whole deal all together. Uh, it's available on PDF. And then the, the campaign by itself is available. If you just want the campaign, you can go buy that as a PDF. And uh, Michael, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're still running that deal on uh, continuing mission for a discount on the starter set. So like if you're looking for an inexpensive way to get into the game and you've already looked at the quick starters, certainly check out the starter set. Because um, it's, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's like Al said, it's everything you need. Uh, Al, any uh, any warnings or uh, or concerns about it as a, as a new game master or experienced game master, whatever? Um, just be ready to create after because there's an ending, but it's not really an ending. So um, just be ready to uh, add more to the story because um, it really just builds off into this big, uh, awesome story um, that you could create afterwards. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Thank you. And uh, so, Michael, that brings us to you to close it up. What's your number one uh, favorite adventure of all the Star Trek adventures that are out there? 
Sure. Again, I'm big into character development. Um, anyone who plays in my games know my favorite scenes are when the characters are talking and there's no dice rolling. And and this one, I guess Christopher Bennett gets two wins tonight, I think, if our, our, if our count is correct. Um, and it's TNG era and it's callback yesterday. And I have to say that, you know, I've been playing this game since 2018. I've been watching the social media. This is the one that keeps coming up with a popular reaction from people who play it. It's to me, probably if I was to say, what module do people talk about the most? I think it's this one. Um, why? Um, first of all, the picture behind me is, is art from this person here. It's not Star Trek art, but this was the setting for our game. And basically the premise and how I adapted it for our game was there's a Ferengi thought maker involved for anybody who's never heard of what a Ferengi thought maker is. It makes thoughts. <laughs> it's technology that basically can zone in and extract thoughts. Well, the Romulans got a hold of a thought maker and they were trying to extract information from key members of our crew who went down on an away mission on this, on this planet. So the thought maker is hiding the Romulans from their view. And now all of a sudden, as they walk through these mysterious smoky ruins, the characters start having, they get separated and they start having interactions with people from their past, some good, some bad. Um, the players took it. They just took it. And weirdly you know sometimes i think every game master has it when when you have people under mind influence they know it in this one the way it's written they didn't know what was going on whether it was real or it was fake and even at the end of the module when they walked away they weren't sure which interactions were real and that to me was mind-blowing so so christopher bennett wrote it and, and constructed the module in such a way to make it believable but the characters don't feel that they're being like some people don't like mind control and, and it didn't make them feel mind controlled. It didn't make them do anything out. It was purely them conversing with their inner demons and in the form of um, their, their, their antagonist, you know, their, their enemies. So again, just a brilliant module. All, everybody who played it still talks about it. Um, and it, and it created, it gave me insight into their characters, changing the values that I was able to use to this day. So that's one of my favorite modules. Very nice, very nice. Thank you. And uh, Josh, Al, have you had an opportunity to uh, to run this one, read it, look at it, anything? I've read it. I haven't been able to run it. It sounds like tons of fun. I haven't run it yet, um, but I do hear uh, people still talking about it in Michael's game. Um, so it sounds really, really interesting. And I think um, developing that backstory for a character is really, really important in a game. So that sounds like a really good tool for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I really appreciate about Christopher's writing is that, uh, especially for the Star Trek Adventures game, like as a novelist, he understands character and he understands how to present opportunities and present scenes so that characters have to do something with it. And it's not it's not the pew pew. It's not the shoot them up. It's not, you know, heavy duty action back and forth. It's it's that interpersonal drama that makes um, Star Trek so rich and interesting. Um, and, and like when I got the draft from him, I'm like, okay, this is this is so easy. <laughs> it's just, I mean, not only does he write clean copy, right, but he writes really compelling scenes, and and like he understands, like you know, what's weird, and you know, I, I hate to out him like this, but I don't think he'll mind. Is like I don't think he's actually had an opportunity to play the game um, to to any significant level, and so he's able to, you know, he consumed the core book and all the all the other con all the other stuff, and he's writing these great adventures, and uh, it's just great to see that uh, they're being used and and like you know, Michael, that you're getting it right. That the, yeah. you're able and your players are getting so much out of it. So it's just exciting to hear. Well, uh, I'll give game masters, 
yeah, I mean, I'm going to give Game Masters one other insight yeah. to really mess with the players in this game. Make a couple of the antagonists real. And that really threw mm-hmm. them off is by the, the captain who's Romulan on our ship had a confrontation with his rival Romulan captain. And in the end, the rival Romulan captain goes over the cliff, but since other people, and so dies, but other people, you know, having interactions with real Romulans and then phantasms, he wasn't sure if he ever even had that battle. But so much came out in it. So so really, don't make everything phantasm. Don't make everything real. Mix them up. And that also unsells the players as they try to figure out what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, um, that is uh, um, a great uh, four, half hour or so of us going around and talking about our favorite episodes. That's, uh, you know, we, we covered eight out of uh, probably 50 to 60 different adventures that are available right there out there right now for Star Trek Adventures. Uh, this is eight of the, the big ones for this particular panel. So, um, and, again, our group, is, and I'll, I'll say, I think I've mentioned it before. We're on our 39th or 40th game right now of Pioneer, and we've played 30 modules or mission briefs so far and again we're not even through half of them at this point so uh, these only all of them have been amazing and we have good times with all of them but the reasons why these stand out is because they keep popping up in my mind (laughs) and i keep pulling back to them so uh, this is this is actually an hour just so you know jim we had this was so much fun it was actually almost an hour oh wow okay well hey there you go (laughs) um i let's see any 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 other thoughts uh i'll just add that um I've been really intentional as the line editor and the project manager to provide as much of a variety as possible in terms of the start, in terms of the adventures. Um, a lot of different voices, a lot of different eras of play, uh, a lot of different focuses. Um, I've tried to keep the format relatively consistent, but some writers um, do different things in terms of like presenting content or presenting useful content. And uh, just hopefully there's something for everybody. It's just like any Star Trek series. You'll, you'll find the episodes that you love and the episodes that are like, okay, that was interesting. And then there's ones that you just don't care for. That's going to be true for the, uh, for the standalones, I think, and that's okay. Uh, not everyone is going to knock it out of the park. Uh, but then at the same time, not everyone's going to be uh, Shades of Grey, right? So not, not to pick on that one too much, but that's the one that just comes to mind, uh, other than maybe, you know, Meridian or Spock's Brain or something. But you know what? Even those episodes, somebody loves them for some reason. You know, there's, a, there's something for everybody everywhere. So uh, let me just go around one more time here real quick. Uh, Josh, any last words? Anything you want to plug? Uh, anything, anything else to say about uh, Star Trek Adventures? Adventures. <laughs> oh, um, there's just so many adventures I still want to play. And yeah. I, I've deliberately held back on even reading the Shackleton <laughs> adventures. I've mm-hmm. read like everything else in that book, except the adventures, because I know that, you know, we're going to do them. So, um, so I, you know, my selections, you know, aren't even part of that saga. Um, it's just such a, a embarrassment of riches out there in terms of the content. Awesome. Ow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had some honorable mentions. I do think that the two quick starts are also um, really, really well done and designed to really hold your hand through learning the game uh, from both a player and a GM perspective. Um, so I would recommend uh, checking those out as well. Um, but yeah, uh, more missions the better, you know, and don't be afraid to adapt them as needed. You know, um, maybe you only need the first act, maybe you only need the third act. Um, but you know, they, they are there for you, uh, you know, so have fun with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Michael, why don't you bring us home? 
Yeah. And maybe you, maybe you only need the art too. I'm going to add that too. Sometimes the art <laughs> is enough for me to build a story off of and use. Um, I want to give a shout out to Strange New Worlds because I noticed that we had quite a few stories pulled from, from that. Mm-hmm. And for, to me, you know, we have um, Bold To Boldly Go, which is a compendium. You got Strange New Worlds. Now you have the Shackleton Expanse. I have to say that Strange New Worlds is actually still my favorite because it has the most adaptable stories in it. So if people are looking to create their own campaign and maybe they don't want to do the Shackleton Expanse campaign or they already did it, Strange New Worlds, I used a lot out of there. I forget the count of stories I've used from that one. So um, plenty, a lot out there. And I have to uh, back up too. We're going to talk later about mission briefs in the same format. I think that would be appropriate to do um, because that's a whole nother beast for the the experienced game master or very experienced. Uh, creative group. Um, but Jim, I think I, I think we we covered it. I think we're gonna have to do another one of these uh in in, in maybe a year after we played a little few more games and, and talk about <laughs> our new three favorite or something. I think oh my be- gosh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well uh so uh, I want to say thank you to uh, Josh and Al for joining us tonight. I hope you uh had a good time. Uh, we'd love to have you back, I'm sure. And uh, hopefully this gives um the the fans that are watching everything an opportunity to uh to enjoy uh, some fresh perspectives and to, to hear some other talking heads besides Michael and I, uh, as we do it week after week. Uh, so we, um, we have a tradition Michael, we have to keep. We have to keep with yep, the tradition. I was heading to you for that. Okay, good. We got to shout out the brick and mortars. I'm big into the brick and mortar, small businesses supporting them. We're going to mm-hmm. shout out two today because this was such a huge episode. So the two I want to shout out, um, Sean Ubinger, I think I'm pronouncing that correct. They want to shout out Miniature Market in St. Peter's, Missouri. So thank you, Miniature Market for uh, M- Miniature Market for being um, a brick and mortar that supports Star Trek Adventures. And sounds like it probably has a lot of miniatures too. So that's really cool. I know a lot of our our um, fans do the miniatures. The second one, Brent Nor- Brent Nor shouts out the Century Box in Calgary. Alberta, Canada. So that's awesome that we were able to get two brick and mortars in two different countries um, in North America today. So thank you again to the fans and the retailers out there who are keeping RPG and board games alive. Absolutely. Um, I'll just thank, uh, um, uh, I'll thank all the fans for watching the show and for providing us feedback. And a very special thank you to, uh, to Josh and to Al for taking your time out tonight and joining us. I really appreciate your time. I uh, really appreciate your uh, your input and your insights. So thank you so much for uh, for being here with us. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks absolutely. For All right, live long and prosper, y'all. Be safe, be well. Catch you all next time. Bye.